This is a podcast from the Business Times. Fear of the unknown is often something that people come up with, right? And at the end of the day, people often create fears for themselves. And that sort of determines a lot of behavior. There's a term that people use, the FUD principle, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It determines a huge amount of people's behavior. Quite a lot of these fears are not that logical. Does this sound like you? Is this hampering you reaching your retirement goals? Help is at hand. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Business Times, where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money-managing and wealth-growing journey. I'm Howie Lim. Isn't a healthy amount of fear okay? It's what keeps us alive, right? Oh, irrational fear. Okay, okay, got it. Let's gather the top fears one might have when it comes to investing and have Hugh Chung from Endowus, David Ferguson from Atlas, and Paul Ung from Philip Capital shoot holes in all of them. You know, this all goes down to human psychology at the end of the day. People love to do the foolish thing and hate to do the sensible thing. Now, the sensible thing, if you follow any of these old-fashioned books like The Intelligent Investor written by Benjamin Graham, Almost a hundred years ago, that was written. Now, books with sensible financial advice have been around for a very, very long time, and they tell you the things that your grandmother inherently knows, which is: don't be greedy, don't risk it all, don't get excited, don't let your emotions rule you, and just do sensible things. Invest over the long term. Invest in a lot of different things. And these manifest themselves in strategies like dollar averaging, which is a term that people use now, which really doesn't mean an awful lot more than buy frequently in little amounts rather than all at once. Most people sort of know this at their core. If they followed these sort of basic tenets, then frankly, there wouldn't be an awful lot to worry about. Thank you, David. To be fair, I think I bug him too much and he's sick of my whining. Here we go. Number one, the fear of losing money. Here's Chief Investment Advisory Officer at Endowers, Hugh Chung. Nobody likes losing money, hard-earned money that you had to work for. But also, nobody wants to see other people make money while you don't. So there's two sides to that. People don't like losing money, but people don't want to lose the opportunity to make money either. But to explain this, we really need to understand the concept of what I call risk capacity. Risk is always the other side of return. If you don't take risk, you don't get a return. So when people just hear the word risk, it just sounds alarm bells. But actually, risk is really what you need to put in to get a return. So when you talk about risk capacity, it's talking about how much return you can make with the capacity that you have. So the younger you are, the larger the risk capacity throughout your whole life. If you have a certain amount of risk capacity and you don't utilize that capacity, you're actually not doing yourself a service. The S&P 500, there hasn't really been a period on a probably on a five plus year basis where you invested in the market and lost money. So if you have a long enough horizon, your equity returns tends to be very strong. And from a global equities perspective, over the last 50 years, the annualized return is something like 7% on an SGD basis, probably like 8% on a US dollar basis, which means over a long period of time, it compounds in a very, very large number. So if you are young, and on average, an annualized market would grow that much over a period of time by doing nothing, 
you're actually not utilizing your risk capacity. So for a losing money or fearing missing out concern, the best thing to do is to really have a really long-term mindset. You diversify your investments so that it's not necessarily tilted towards one area or another. And that helps you overcome that fear of short-term losing money because data has proven that over a long period of time, the markets do go up on a collective basis, and you have to kind of fully utilize that risk capacity. Apparently, there are two key elements when it comes to the fear of losing money. Risk capacity, as Hugh calls it, and also it's tied to FOMO, the fear of missing out. Here's Senior Financial Services Director at Philip Capital, Paul Ng. I would break down the fear of losing money into two key elements. A risk assessment, for example, someone's risk appetite. For every different investor, there would be a maximum level of risk that an individual can afford to take based on their financial circumstances. This would include their family conditions, their level of personal commitments, their debt as well. And that would really quantify the level of losses that one could potentially absorb during a market correction or recession. And the second element would be their risk requirements. That leads me to their investment objective. What are they invested into the financial markets for? Would it be something that is of a longer time horizon? For example, their retirement years? Or is it something that is pretty medium term, uh, no more than 10 years? That could really change the course of how one should structure their investments. And fear of losing money comes from not knowing the risks involved being in the market. So once that is resolved and the investor has more clarity, the fear would usually dissipate. One can take a stronger stance as to having conviction in their holdings. I think the fear of losing money isn't an unwarranted one, and it does seem to tie into the fear of the unknown, as David from Atlas mentioned earlier. So the more you know would mean decreasing the amount of unknowns. Right. What if we're afraid we don't know how to pick stocks? Not logical, because of course you won't know how. Professional investors know how to pick stocks because they do bottom-up analysis on certain companies, forecast the earnings of the company, and are confident because they either know that sector or company really well. They make a living out of it, so they should. So the picking stock in itself is not something that is bad per se. Having said that, for individual investors, you have to understand that you doing work on a public company, you have to assume that you don't have all the information. You're just looking at a certain portion of that company. And then there are things that can happen that nobody can foresee. And that's the whole point of having diversification. Because even if you do all your homework, there's going to be situations where you can't forecast what's going to happen. Yes, I do think that if you want to pick stocks, you should have many stocks, not just one. I think if you know your sectors and companies really well and and do your homework, you can. But my recommendation would be you have to have a really, really diversified set of stocks. So that if you lose money on the stock, you know, you don't get into trouble by having an oversized position in a certain company, right? And I've seen so many examples of this. Had early success on buying a company and making 30%, double the money, etc. They get very confident and then they buy a whole lot of other things with much bigger size and then they lose all their wealth, right? So the problem with picking stock is not necessarily that it's a bad thing, but that you kind of lose your way doing it. And you can never stop looking at it. Whereas if you have a globally diversified portfolio, 
then you can kind of put it away in retirement. Wow, Hugh from Endowas. I don't think we can afford to spend so much time looking at companies if we're not a professional investor. So yeah, it's really a trade-off of time and risk. Still to come, we explore more fears of investing, things like fear that there's no one to trust, fear we don't have enough money to start investing and the like. More in a moment. Senior correspondent Ben Paul shares his analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Mark to Market every second Monday of the month with your trusted partner for financial information. Go to bt.sg podcasts to download. And now, back to Money Hacks from the Business Times. We've been speaking to Hugh Chung from Endowas, David Ferguson from Atlas, and Paul Ong from Philip Capital on how to combat fears of investing. So far, we've covered fear of losing money, FOMO, and fear of picking stocks. What about the fear that you can't trust anyone? They're all crooks out to get your money, I tell ya. Here's Paul Ong from Philip Capital. The core of trust is all about relationships. From my experience as an advisor myself, I tend to see my clients looking to family first and seeing if anyone is in the family has been invested into the markets, whether any of them are seasoned investors who have went through a couple of market corrections, recessions, and the fact that they have stayed invested throughout, they are probably able to provide some form of wisdom and direction to that particular investor that is just starting out. Most people get their information from the internet these days. However, it is not easy to actually dissect what would be relevant, what would be suitable for this particular uh, investor. I always point new investors to speaking to as many financial advisors as possible to find someone that is aligned to what they're looking out for, someone that can make them comfortable, furnish them information that could translate technical jargons and complex market concepts into concepts that are simple to implement and understand for them to get started. I believe that we should look out for our professionals, credentials and track record, certifications, years of experience and track record. Because this will provide us with insights about their qualifications and their ability to assist us in achieving our financial objectives. Find out more from your advisor on what is the range of solutions provided and align it to what you are personally looking for. We should look for an advisor that not only offers the specific services we require, but also aligns with our desired product offerings. So this should include a range of planning that encompasses insurance planning, income protection, low-risk saving instruments, and investment solutions to meet their retirement goals. You really have to look at the way the business is structured, whether it's your financial advisor or, or a bank or a broker, etc. You have to see where there is alignment between what they're trying to do versus what you're trying to do. A lot of the financial advisors or distributors out there have a business model whereby they're incentivized to sell you something that makes the most money for them, whether it's through rebate or through other means. You want to find an advisor where their revenue and their bonus is tied to the performance of what you've invested in or whether the AUM or the size of your investments grows that benefits the advisor, right? So I think the first thing is to find an advisor where there's alignment in what you're trying to do 
And the second thing is who really understands your goals. So when you talk about investment, the advice that we give is not to think about how much return it makes. You have to think about what your goals are, what your liabilities are, what you're trying to do when you're older, etc., and work backwards and see what sort of framework and investments you have to take. So you really have to look beyond just the brand name, even the size, you have to look at how aligned the advisor are to you. And then also the safety of, of how the assets are guarded, where the custodians are. And the last thing I would say is the cost as well. One thing you can really control on your investment return over a long term is the compounded cost. So you have to be really careful about the cost that you're paying to have access to some of these products. Hugh Chung from Endowas also feels you should keep an eye on cost because that's the one thing you can really control on your investment return over long term, and that's the compounded costs. But what about the fear of not having enough money to invest? That ties in with a misconception that one needs buckets of money lying around in order to start investing, right? I don't think there's been a man or woman alive who ever feels like they've got quite enough money. The richer you are as well, that becomes even truer. They always say is that once you create someone with $100 million, you create a frustrated billionaire. So I don't think that ever goes away. What is true is that it doesn't matter how much money one has, one can always put money aside. Every little bit counts. Wise words from David Ferguson of Atlas. You'll never have enough money, and you really ought to start somewhere. Uh, where though? The first thing to do is obviously look at your financial state. And if you feel that you don't have enough money, then you need to save up to have more money, start investing and compound over time. The other thing is to make your capital work harder. One example is your CPF. CPF OA has a guaranteed return of 2.5%. But even global equities over a long period of time compound something like 7% every year, which is considerably higher than 2.5%. So the money that you have with CPF often gets neglected, but that can become a very big source of assets for you over time. Again, the way you invest CPF is very important in terms of finding the right channel that gives you low cost of access as well as breadth of products to access. For example, we have brought in the Amundi 5BIPS passive fund, for example. So it's a really, really cheap way to access global equities. But even if you don't feel like you have a lot of money right now, there are ways to access different pools of capital so you can start investing. And investing is always best if you start as early as possible. The younger you are, the bigger the capacity and the earlier you should start. Even though you don't have a lot of money right now, if you have a head start, you'll find yourself building that asset base quickly. Mm, sounds like a good place to start. But we go back to the trust issue. Even though some might have a tendency to believe anything out there, even stories of others getting rich quickly. Here's Paul Ng from Philip Capital. That really seeds a certain thought process into that individual. And it gets him thinking, if only I could. Oftentimes, they don't know this person personally and they are not in close contact. They do not know how the returns were derived, the level of risks that this person has been put through in order to achieve this. Or frankly, they don't even know if the story is really true. It could just be a hearsay. This fear of missing out has actually ballooned up, especially during uh, the COVID years, because everyone is working from home. I believe that it is actually a myth that one needs to have tremendous amounts of money lying around to invest. Fair enough, 
What about for ones who fear they don't have enough time, really? The young seniors, as the Prime Minister calls them. Here's Hugh Chung from Indawas. You know, even if we are older or not as young, start this retirement process, I think there's never a late period. The idea is to at least try to beat inflation, because if you can't beat inflation, basically the same amount of capital can't buy the goods that you need. It's really putting in a bit of a discipline. The only difference between someone who's older who has less capacity is that you can take less risk. So you would be investing in less volatile, higher quality type investments, which would probably give you lower returns, but still give you better returns than putting it in cash. And and cash is one other thing that we get a lot of questions recently because money market funds and fixed deposits are very high. The question is, why, why not just put it in that? Why is there any reason to put it in bonds or equities? And Right now, it looks like that, but very quickly, rates can change and we'll realize that not having done anything on investments will actually adversely impact you there as well. So yes, there's a difference between dialing down your risk once you're older, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest. No matter what the age is, I think you should find the right investment for your age, but still be invested. People behave that way. And again, it's human psychology. It's a little bit like saying, I'm not going to go to the doctor because I don't know what he's going to tell me. We all know that's the wrong thing to do. There are genuinely simple consumer journeys out there in the market who provide these very simple consumer journeys that allow people to get started in small amounts to start with. And then when they get more comfortable with the process, they can increase their exposure to it and they can start these healthy financial habits. Wealth care. It's a component of self-care that one is doing when one's saving for one's future. Taking small, easy decisions like this with the players in the market that offer that is, is a smart thing to do. It doesn't have to be hard, is the argument. Thanks, David. Join us next time when we'll figure out if property still has a place in your portfolio in 2024. Thanks to Hugh Chung, Chief Investment Advisory Officer in Dowers, David Ferguson, CEO Atlas Consolidated, and Paul Ung, Senior Financial Services Director, Philip Capital. I'm Howie Lim. This has been Money Hacks from the Business Times. This is a podcast by the Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.